guys, welcome back to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as The Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. Get your pen and paper ready. I'm so excited. Um, but first, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Daniel Curry of Indy's IT Department. If you guys are starting school and you just bought a brand new computer, brand new tablet, make sure you get in touch with Daniel at Indy's IT Department to make sure that you are not going to get hit with any kind of ransomware or anything that's going to, any bugs or viruses that are going to hit your computer. So definitely check them out at Indy's IT Department. Guys, this young lady that I'm about to have on, I'm so excited to have on her. She is the ultimate comeback story. And <laughs> in the back of my mind, I can hear the Rocky song playing. She's just so amazing. Caldwell Different, what's up? How are you doing today? Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody out there listening. Yes, my name is Different, spelled D-I-F-E-R-N-T. <laughs> That's my name. I love I'm it. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for that compliment. The oh, comeback man. coach. <laughs> I, I, I love a comeback story, and yours is the ultimate comeback story. And I kind of want to hit everything. I, and I definitely want to hit on your book, yeah. What a Controversy Paradigm Shift. I also want to talk about you, what it's like being a female, not only a female CEO, mm-hmm. but a woman of color CEO mm-hmm. company. I want to get into that. But first, talk about where you're from, um, where you grew up, and what kind of little girl were you? Okay, cool, cool. So again, like I said, my name is different. I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm 30 years old. Um As far as my hobby goes, I love traveling, reading, writing. I'm a daredevil type personality, so I do anything adventurous. I love zip lining. Um, Once I think I went parasailing. I do a lot of like daredevil stuff when I travel. Um, As far as, you know, my background and coming up, I had a pretty good upbringing up until the time I was around 11 years old. And then me and my family, we basically ended up on the streets um, for the next three years, literally everywhere, literally um, bus stops, shelters, strangers, relatives, cars, show, uh, uh, even a crack house at one point. But um, at the time, what, I was, what was that like? Because uh, like you said, I want to go deep a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why they called me the, the male Oprah. I like to go <laughs> a little bit deep, uh, you know, because I've been homeless and I, mm-hmm. I know it is. But, you know, from move, I moved around probably 11 or 13 different times before I hit high school. And I never oh, wow. made and I never made friends. I, Same you know, here. So well, it, it was hard for me to make friends. I was it wasn't a problem to make friends. It was the fact that it wasn't going to last long. And so for me, it was no point. So I stayed to myself. So but what was that like thing. moving? You know, what was it like moving to all these different places and having to carry everything that you own? Because, you know, I was a, I was an emergency foster care parent for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was in foster care as well. But, well, it was hard. I'm not going to – it definitely wasn't easy. And as a child, you don't understand everything, what's going on. And looking back on it, it just, you know, it was just a roll of the dice and how the way the world worked at times. And um, we did this for three years, you know, just sleeping, you know, basically pillow and posting. But it wasn't until the time I was 14. Um, I think it, it, it was – a terrible thing that happened, but it was a blessing in disguise. A family member of mine secretly placed me in foster care and didn't tell the rest of my family members where I was for six months, for the first six months that I was there. And so during that first six months, I spent, you know, my dad is trying to come home 
But then I found out that if you age out of care in the state of Texas, they will pay for your tuition fee waiver to college. And so then a light bulb went out of my head and, you know, I'm thinking, do, 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 do. What do I do? Do I go back to the streets where I'm homeless? Or do I stay here in the CPS and do get out for the next four years? And when I get out, I'll have a full ride to college. And so I right then and there made that decision that I was going to stay and deal with whatever, you know, the mishaps that, you know, being in foster care dealt with rather than going back to the streets. Now, can you go, because a lot of people, you know, we hear about the foster care system, but we, I want you to give us an inside look into what the foster care system well, it's, is really it's, like. You get lost in the system. Basically, you just, you don't, you're not a person anymore. You're just another case number. And for me, like you, Richard, I moved around extensively before. By the time I graduated, I've already been to 16 different schools, not high schools, but just throughout my educational you know, tenure up until the time I graduated, I've been to 16 different schools. So that right there in itself, it does something to, you know, your, your, your trust with people and building, you know, your people skills. And so for me, like I said, I say to myself because it was no point in me, you know, getting to know people and have these relationships. And then one day I'll have to up and leave, which was true. Um, I got kicked out of every foster home I was in because looking back on it, it just coming up in the environment that I was brought up in, chaos was normal to me. And so when I got taken out of that, the, that environment, got placed in another environment, which was actually pretty nice. I was placed in really nice homes and good school districts. However, like I said, it, I wasn't used to it. For me, it was too good to be true. And so I just kind of got that notion that, you know, I'd rather be the captain of my own ship and decide when it's time for it to go down. And so <clears throat> all throughout, you know, my teenage years, I would just sabotage and, and break off relationship and, you know, push people away. And that would spill over into my adulthood. And so um, those type of things, you know, when you're in the system, you know, you, you can't, you, you're already coming into the the foster care system with issues, but when you leave, it's like you have that and then some. Okay, so now I got to ask you a question because um, I'm get, delving deep into mindset and mm -hmm. I'm actually taking a course now on imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to know what your thought was the first day of starting college at Sam Houston State. It was exciting. It was scared. Um, I didn't know anybody. And the last foster, the foster home person I was with, I had got kicked out of her house. She literally like pushed me out of her house and locked the door. And um, like I said, when things were too good to be true, I was smart of them. So when it came time for me going to college, I was I was afraid. I was scared that you know that person wasn't going to stick with me to the end. And so I messed up that relationship. And going into college, I had nobody. And that brought on a, another stem, a stack of issues in itself. I had issues going throughout college that I had to deal with, you know, including with my people skills now. Because, you know, everybody, you know, I'm giving that impression that, you know, I'm rude, I'm mean, I'm not a, you know, a nice person, which is the complete opposite. Um, but by God's grace, I, I made it through that and made it out of that situation. And, and, and as a result, I now have my bachelor's degree in international business. I also have two minors in economics and business communication. I also have my master's degree in entrepreneurship, not to mention, I'm also a Texas real estate agent. So nothing that I went through in the past was in vain. You know, it was all God's plan. Now, uh, tell me, you know, because 
coming from where you came from, you know, obviously you didn't, the only kind of pro- people you've probably seen that were entrepreneurs, like when I was growing up, were drug dealers and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So what was, you know, your thought process when you had to pick out your classes? What, when did you decide and why well, did you decide, hmm, business? Well, I've always been a business-like minded person. Even coming up, I was, before, you know, ended up, you know, going through hard times. I was actually a Girl Scout and I was one of the top bestsellers, <laughs> if you will. Um, and I've, I've always had that business mind aspect of it. And so I, I knew that I was going to go to college, even, you know, as a little kid, and I was going to go into business. Um, another part of that is, you know, just my love for travel. I'm, I, I, even going to school, I got that opportunity to travel abroad. I went to Kim Young University in South Korea and spent a semester there. And so um, I've, I've always had that, that business personality that's always been me. And so, yeah. I, I knew who I am and what I wanted to do. So, so did you ever have, because I know I still struggle with imposter syndrome. Has there ever been a time you've been sitting in a class and you just look around and you're like, wait a minute, I don't look like a lot of these people. Oh, yeah. And that's not just within the class. That's and, even and I know, after I graduated and, and, and coming into the workplace. And, and I started out in the oil industry and just feeling like I didn't belong there. I squandered that opportunity. And so sitting in class in a new environment and in people that, that have higher status than you, of course, that makes you feel inferior. But I had to, you know, re- had to get it in me to reprogram my mindset and, and, and know that I am worthy of those things that everybody else is going after. I'm just as good as the next person. That's what I had to tell myself to get through it. So now at this time, were you reading books? Were you, you know, listening to people like I'm a, I'm a big personal development guy. Um, were you doing any of that? To yes. Keep- in, in a matter of speaking, as far as like business preparation, getting myself prepped for business. Um, also when I was in Sam Houston, I started a student organization called pay it for it. And we had three sections, you know, dealing with volunteering education and mentorship. Um, and so with that, I used that as my, my first foundation to get started in motivational speaking. And so when I would go to different high schools and speaking with students about the you know, importance of education and you know, what I went through and sharing my story, um, I would share that with you know, the audience and people around. And so that, 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 I'm sorry to get off time for that aspect. It's like I said, it's just always been with me. Um, yeah. So who are some of your, like some of my favorite speakers are people like E.T., Eric um, Thomas? I, I me honestly, as far as like reading books, I don't I don't go by the speakers. Um, I like Dave Ramsey. Have you heard of him? He's like the financial guru. I, I actually went through Financial Peace University. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I like reading books like from him with Dave Ramsey and um, who's the other guy I'm reading on investments? I love reading the investments book. I'm I'm really a true nerd at heart. <laughs> so um, as far as like motivational speaking, who 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 do I? I, I use everybody as an inspiration. I'm like, I, I don't idolize anybody or have anybody specific like I, I strategically look up to. But if I hear somebody's story and I, I see, you know, that how they where they came from and how they made it out, then you know, of course that inspires me and stuff. But um So now take me to the day you graduate because you know, um a lot of times as soon as you get a person gets their um diploma, they're out in the real world and they're like, Okay, now what? I have a degree. What do I do with it? 
So what so, was your thought process? Like everybody else who graduates and gets out of college, they don't use their degree directly. For um, I actually, like yeah, like you said, I was dazed and confused, didn't know what to do. Um, I actually, I started with a temp agency and then somehow ended up in the oil industry. So it, it, I didn't know what I was going to do when I first came, graduated out of, out of Sam Houston, but I knew that it was going to be in business. And so eventually, you know, I, I found my niche as well as I was always into real estate. And so um, I just, you know, just started gaining my bearings in, in and when working in the oil industry in January 2015, um, they had the crude oil crisis and then they let us all go. And so um, that kind of like rocked my ship right there. It left me, you know, working with a temp agency for, uh, I think I did that like two, three years and then got into, you know, leasing. But yeah, just like everybody else, I had to find my way. Okay. Now I, I, I love real estate. You know, you know, the first thing, couple books i ever bought was a book a couple books by robert kiyosaki talking about real estate and uh so but i've also noticed that a lot of people that sell real estate don't own real estate mm-hmm. so, well, i want to own real estate as well okay um, go ahead i'm sorry no i was just saying because you know sometimes the reason why people are called real estate brokers because they're broker than me so <laughs> you know I never heard of that, but that's funny. So sometimes, you know, being in, in a real estate agent, you definitely have to be a people person. You know, oh, yeah. You know, so how did you, you know, I know back in college, you, you had you, you had to come to Jesus moment sometime where you're like, mm-hmm. all right, I got to change. And so what was that moment when you're like, okay, I don't actually want- for me, it didn't happen until later on, because like I said, the childhood traumas and those traits carried on into my adulthood. And so when I would have those good opportunities to advance my career, I would have those notes in the back of my head, you know, telling me, oh, you're not good enough or they don't, they're not going to like you. You know, you're too country, you're going to sound too ghetto. And there was an incident. I think I was around 26, 27 years old at the time. Um I had a meeting with uh, a well-connected individual who, who basically could just open up doors and, and take me places. However, um, just dealing with those demons in the back of my mind telling me I'm not good enough, I specifically you know, showed up late to the meeting and it left a sour taste in that person's mouth. And to this day, I regret that. But it was there, right then and there, that I had to face the ugly truth about myself. So, and, and to go, that I need to go get help and fix my issues. You know, whatever childhood trauma I had went through, it was affecting my adult um, life. And so I needed to fix that. And so for me, my coming to Jesus moment is when I, you know, accepted the fact that I needed therapy and started taking myself to therapy. Um, coming up in the African-American community, some of us, the culture, we, we are taught that, you know, what goes on in this house stays in this house. So we can't talk about our issues that, you know, we, we're dealing with at home and that stems into your adult life and you get that notion that oh I don't need therapist need my business or whatever and so I just had to dismiss that thought and that notion and did what I have to do and, and I'm glad that I did it I've been in therapy consecutively now for two years going um, and, and it's probably one of the best decisions that I ever made um, because when I did that everything else was able to fall in line you know I was able to actually really get on track and get serious with my business uh, and with myself. Um, 
and, and just fix my relationships, you know, with people. And so um, that that was for me my coming to moment, Jesus moment. Now I come from a big Italian family, and obviously, you know, a lot of us were mobbed up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if we said we were going to go for therapy, they would be like, "Wait, wait, hold on." You can't talk to nobody. So I loved in your bio because uh, what happened was uh, when I was living in Pennsylvania, um, I was homeless at one time and a colored family brought me in and I lived with them for a couple of years and they taught me the culture and mm-hmm. they taught me, you know, about, you know, the grandmother is always the matriarch, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I got to learn it. So when you wrote in your bio to me, you know, black people don't do therapy. I heard they, I must've heard that at least five or six times when mm-hmm. I was at, and, and now the funny thing is they're all in therapy. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but I've been in therapy now nine years consecutively. And I think oh. it's, it's one of the greatest things ever. Yeah. You know, and I, I say this, anybody out there listening and that's hearing this, you know, and that's feeling the same way, but you know, still feeling too ashamed about it. Don't be, it's, it's okay not to be okay, but don't sit there and not be okay. Go fix it. I'm telling you, because at the end of the day, although, you know, what you went through, it might not have been your fault. Somehow, some way it's your problem and it's on you to fix it. And that's the ugly truth that we all have to accept. A lot of us say, well, oh, if this person would have did that to me or, or they apologized to me. No, in actuality, they don't really owe you anything. That's just the way the roll of the dice goes. People you know, do things to each other and it's on that person, you know, to, to heal because that other person is going to go on with their life. They're not worried about you and what you think and how you feel. So it's on you. And so once you do that, whatever you do, however you do it, talk to a family member, a friend, um, take up a hobby or even, you know, call a hotline. You know, if you don't want nobody to know who you are or, or any of that, they still have the hotlines out there available. Um, this week is Suicide Prevention Week, and, and, and with my business, I'll talk about that a little bit more. We touch on issues such as these, you know, with mental health and, and, and you know, domestic relationships and injustice and systemic racism. And so I'm really big on issues like this, you know, talking about, you know, the importance of mental health and, and you know, suicide prevention. And so um, that, again, like I'm saying that to anybody out there that's listening, you know, it's okay to not be okay but just don't sit there and not be okay. Then that's where the true problem is. You know, once you know that it's a problem and you need to fix it and you don't want to fix it, then it is your fault and your problem. I love that. You know, now um, I'm so so involved in your words that um, I just love what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, when you, but when you go to therapy, you know, a lot of times it rips off the band-aids. Oh yeah. Have to, um, deal with the issues you know like a lot of people i talk to that i've had on the show recently and i just did an episode um last week and she dealt with sexual trauma mm-hmm. and um, a lot of times in order for us to start healing we have to rip off that 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 well that scab mm-hmm. to start to heal and then you know we also like my one of my mentors he says you know that nothing happens to you everything happens for you mm-hmm. and everything's a teachable moment so if you think you know about like you said in your bio you know 
if you you can turn your hurts and you know like they say god never wastes a hurt mm-hmm. you know you can ter- turn your hurts into a, your weaknesses into a strength mm-hmm. so talk to us about how you talk about how to you you know use your mess your message is now your your mess is now your message so talk mm-hmm. about that yeah so in, in picking up where i left off with it being in therapy now and shout out to my therapist who is now my mentor and who who has you know helped me and worked with me and, and helped me face the ugly truth sometimes you know gave it to me gritty and raw and and that's what i needed um and so with one of the methods he encouraged me to do is to get back to one of my loves which was writing and journaling and so that's what i did and so just writing affirmations you know and and self-assurance to myself that also helped um and and so in doing so this is how the book happened (laughs) um one day you know i'm just doodling uh take it back to the beginning of the pandemic we stuck in the house there's no way to go um you know i'm sitting here dealing with my issues and you know the death of george ford happens and being from Houston, of course, you know, I wanted to be involved in, you know, he grew up in third, I'm from Fifth Ward, he's from Third Ward, but we're right down the street from each other. And so um, when he passed, I wanted to get involved and in, in have my voice heard. However, you know, when it came down to it, I felt, you know, I wanted my voice to be heard longer than just in that moment of time. And so going home later on that night, praying, talking with God, you know, being spiritually in tune, and, and just, you know, asking him what it is that I can do to, you know, contribute to society in a way that's going to make them, you know, think, you know, actually, you know, think about the things that's going on and have my voice being heard long after I'm gone. And so when I did that, God would, you know, send me little messages, little dreams, you know, talking with people here and there and then watching TV. And then just one day doodling in my journal, I just started writing, you know, what if, what if this, what if that? And just every day, little by little, piece, piece by piece. And um, this started in June 2020. By December 2020, I was finished with writing section of the book. And so um, it didn't take long. It's not a long book, if you was less than uh, 100 pages. But um, once I reach out to my lawyer, she tells me, oh, this is a great book. I think it's going to do good sales. But, you know, one question, what's the name of your business? And uh, I kept telling her, <laughs> I kept telling her my uh, my book <laughs> as the name of my business, but she broke it down for me a little bit more. And she explained like, well, she in order to have a product to sell to the uh, public, you have to have a business, which was true. And it didn't dawn on me that I would need to have a business. But I was just trying to write the book. And so then on, you know, December 2020 and then to March 2021, um, I had to, you know, do all my homework and research and, you know, thinking of what my company is going to be and what we were going to be about and what we were going to bring to the the public because now it's just bigger than just a book. It's more than that now. And that's just the way God works. Sometimes you, you think you're doing something small, but really he has something big planned for you. And so that's just what's happening in my life right now. And so as of March 2021, I have my business, Third Eye Entertainment, LLC. And what we are about is a business that brings social awareness to society, through our products and services that educates, inspires, and entertains all at once. We also have a model that we live strategically by. It's called Manifest, Plan, Prepare. And this is why. 
in order for, we believe, in order for one to achieve guaranteed success in life, they must manifest. The first step is manifesting what it is that they want and believe and desire in their heart. Speak it into existence like no other. Remove all of those fears, those doubts, and replace it with faith and assurance that you will reap your benefit if you keep the, um, keep stay the course and don't get distracted. So manifest it with all your heart and soul and your mind. Speak it out, write it out, believe it, receive it, and, and, and then it will eventually come to you. The next step you must do is plan, right? Get a, get a plan of action of what it is that, it, that you want to achieve in life. Write it out on paper. And, 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 and then on top of that, I'm sorry, give me one second. Um, I'm sorry. So then secondly, once you plan what it is that you want, whether, you know, you getting that house, that car, you know, getting that girl, that man, plan for what it is. Get a plan of action how you're going to achieve that goal. Then third, you prepare for what it is that you are about to receive. So when I say prepare for what it is that you are about to receive, prepare your finances, prepare your mental health, prepare your physical health, your spiritual, your emotional. Go mend those broken relationships you had in the past so they don't affect your future. You know, get your finances in order, all of that. So once you prepare for what it is that you are about to receive, then it will come to you. So manifest, plan, prepare. The pandemic has taught me, and, and I'm getting a little shaky about this, I do apologize. Um, I've lost four people this year alone, four people. I don't want to lose anymore. But with the pandemic, it has taught us that, you know, life is short and tomorrow is not promised. So whatever it is that you want and believe in life that you are supposed to have, now is the time to go after it, Richard. Now more than ever, you know, I always tell my friends, I, you either got that mindset that you're trying to have that come up like Cardi B or that come back like Robert D. There is no more in-between. It's time to get rich during the pandemic or die trying. And that, that's exactly what I'm doing. And so with that being said, our, for, as far as our services side for Third Eye Entertainment, we also, like I said, offer the motivational speaking side. We talk about issues. I offer, you know, a, a blogging and a vlogging section to where we talk about the title issues that like to get swept under the rug, such as, you know, injustice, systemic racism, suicide prevention. We talk about mental health wellness, um, child advocacy, such as with sex trafficking, foster care, voters' rights, women's rights, LGBTQ issues, everything. We talk about all those issues and try to bring them to light and bring social awareness and create systemic change. Um, and with that being said, our first product on the line that we have for the public is my new book, What If a Controversial Paradigm Shift? And before I go any further, let me say this with this book. It does include a disclaimer. Um, it's intended for a mature audience only. This book was written strictly to inform and encourage thought-provoking conversations about systemic racism and injustice in America. Um, the ultimate goal of this book, not only to push the envelope for conversation, but to remind the world and people that will read this book, you know, about just to have, you know, compassion for, you know, humanity and be loving and kindness to one another because we all have, you know, personal battles that we're dealing with that, you know, nobody knows whether it be, you know, in our personal relationship, our finances, where we're struggling with our weight, 
our sexuality is something that we're all struggling with on the inside and that the next person doesn't know. So why not, you know, show kindness and compassion for one another just because. And so with what if a controversial paradigm shift, um, like I said, it's written to encourage systemic conversations about racism in America. It's done through graphic but provocative illustrations and it entails on um, controversial deaths and events that have occurred in America within the African-American community. The way that I have set the book up is in four main categorized paradigm shifts, historical, political, precedent, and hypothetical. And within those four main paradigms, those are sub-paradigms that I offer. And I ask the question, you know, what if this? Basically just asking the question, what if this happened to white people instead of black people? And you still there with me, Richard? Um, I'm listening. <laughs> I know I talk too much. I'm so sorry. No, but that's, <laughs> Feel free to cut in and let me know because I don't no, feel like I talk too much. Well, because I'm interested in this conversation. <laughs> you know, okay. I, I was in the military for over 23 years. Uh-huh. In, in where the people that I knew, you know, even though I was down south, um, mm-hmm. in the military, there was no black, there was no white. You know, mm-hmm. if you get shot at, bullets yeah. don't know what color you are. We're all going to bleed the same. Exactly. Everybody, you know, everybody's green. And in my book that I put out, um, I talk about how I was healed from being a racist back in 1986. Mm. And how my, my ways were, my thoughts were changed. And now, like, I have a friend, his name is Joe. He's a police officer. And he's in a color. And somebody once called me up and like, hey, do you know Joe? And I'm like, Joe, 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 Joe. And I'm thinking, you know, police officer, he's a police officer. So uh, I said, yeah, Joe Hammond. He, he's like the black cop. I was like, and I, in my mind, I mm. didn't realize he was black because we're, we're just family. We've been family for years. Yeah. So, you know, I think in America, you know, we we are so divided. That's why I wanted to have you on because I mm-hmm. love these conversations because only in America can a 53-year-old white guy sit down and talk with you and mm-hmm. just have a, a a, a loving, caring conversation. I love it too. And I'm so grateful for you having me. You were actually the first Caucasian person to have me on their show to talk about that issue. So I'm so grateful for you having me on your show. And and I knew that that no matter what this book would cause, it's going to attract the right people like you and so many others, you know, that's of non-color, but know that there's an issue with racism that needs to be fixed. Yeah, but you so, know, so, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. You know, even in the African-American community, I have a lot of friends. I grew up in, you know, uh, some of the high schools I went to. I was like the only white guy. So mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot that a lot of times, I mean, if you take out what, what's said on Facebook and twi- Twitter and Instagram, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if certain, you know, somebody's doing good in your community, you know, other people of the community are going to try to bring you down. Mm-hmm. no matter what color you are. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about, you know, because I believe that there there is racism, but there's also, you know, racism against Italian people. Uh, there's know, racism everywhere. Against, and this book yeah. is not just, well, let me say this, Richard, it's not just for Blacks or whites. This yeah. book can be applied to any t- any paradigm, not just with race. Yeah. Let's, if you want to talk about gender, what if this happens to men instead of women? Or let's talk about sexuality. You know, what if this happened to gay people instead of straight people? Yeah. So you can take these paradigms and you can apply it to any other, you know, situation if you like. But for me, I chose, you know, racism because, yeah. you know, that's a really deep-seated issue and, you know, a uh, uh, issue that needs to be addressed and that's, that's 
near and dear to my heart. Um, I, I've experienced racism, you know, not only in America, but even when I'm overseas, but it's worse when I come home. That's the funny thing about it. Yeah, like oh, like today or well, tomorrow is 11, you know. Yeah, tomorrow will be September the 11th, and, and it's going to be a sad day, and I, I hope, you know, I will say this, let me, with, even though the 9-11 was a very tragic thing, I've never seen so many blacks and white come together over one issue like that. And it sucks that it takes these type of issues to bring us together. And where I'm sitting right now, I'm actually overlooking where the Twin Towers once stood. Oh, my God. And, you know, and I say, you know, the we best. We were just at Ground Zero last summer. The wow. best day in America, in my opinion, was September 12th, because that's when we were one America. Yeah, it was no black, no white. Yep. I remember that. It was, yep. it was all, you know, we were all red, white, and blue. Yep, I was a, I was in the fifth grade when that happened, and um, everybody came to school the next day, and we were just all hugging each other. I can't. I, I grew up in a very diverse city, so um, luckily, coming from the South and in Houston, that's this probably like the most urban city in the South, if you will. And so I was blessed to, and as well as I have, you know, a mixed family degree. You know, my grandmother is actually a white woman, <laughs> white Native American woman who loves black men. And so with this book, I, I definitely want to, you know, don't get it misconstrued. This is no attack on any Pacific race. This book is not instructed as a tool or an instrument that's to be used as, as some, one of the persons I read of review said that, um, this book is going to be used as a tool for the black community to uprise against the white folks. No, it's not. This is simply a book to make you think, what if, you know, and if this ruffles your feathers or rings your bell, then obviously there's something's there, you know, because if it's okay, if it's not okay for, you know, a picture or illustration of a white person, you know, being lynched or shown, you know, that, but then you turn around and see a black person being lynched, and you have excuses and justification of why it is, then that's how you know that racism is still alive. Yeah. But for it, me, enough about that. I'm I'm tired of talking about systemic racism. Yeah. Let's talk about systemic change. That's the real main point of my book, systemic change. I I, I get your attention with the gritty and grimy illustrations, but if those who, who are mature enough to stomach through the entire book and make it to the last paradigm, hypothetical, there's where it's all tied in. You know, that's why I bring it on home. Those are my main point. You know, what if we all come together, you know, just as one and just talk about the issue? Let's just take some time to acknowledge it. You know, a simple acknowledgement that it's still there is, a, you know, a step in, in, in towards the right direction, if you will. And even if I'm well aware, you know, that change doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen with just one person. So it's going to take all of us to do it, more than just me and you and, and, and others, you know, who march at the protest. And, and again, I'm aware that, it, you know, this may not go nowhere, but at least, you know, we try. Nothing beats a failure but a try. And for me, I, I, I'm, I'm living off the, the hope that, you know, what if this is a generation, Richard, that plans to see for the next? It may not come during our time. I don't think it will. That's, that's just my honest opinion about it. It's probably not going to change anything until, you know, for the, for the next generation. But what if this is a generation that plans to see? What if this is one of this book is, is a part of it, you know, you'll never know unless you, you know, put your best foot and try. And, you know, I, like, I have a nine-year-old daughter and mm -hmm. we, we got together with her, with some family and friends and hung out for um, Labor Day and had a barbecue. We were talking about the same issue, this issue right here. Mm -hmm. And my point was, 
if you take a hundred kids ages five to 10 mm-hmm. and put them in a playground, they're all going to play together. Oh yeah. They're all going to make friends. They don't care what color you are. They don't care, you know, where you're from. And I believe that racism uh, in any, on any level, it's taught. It's not something that's naturally ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. So like you said, we have to start with, you know, our, my generation, your generation and my mm-hmm. children's generation to start believing that in, you know, in this America, we have more things in common than we have not in common. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we need to start having conversation, sitting along the kit across the kitchen table, breaking bread and just sitting down and having conversations. And I think that's what your book is about, is about mm-hmm. starting conversations. Yep, exactly. And also just just the fact that, you know, to, to, to put it out there, you know, again, even though I'm talking about racism in this book, my ultimate message is just to have, you know, show compassion for one another. You know, what if this happened to you or, you know, your family member? What if this was still happening? And so I, I can't even say no more. You know, you, you said it all for me here, Jed. <laughs> well, you know, because like I, like I said, I lived with this family for three years and they would tell me about their, you know, their, their grandparents and their mm-hmm. parents coming from Georgia you know, working on plantations, you know, doing ah, okay. So, so you, what you we would call in the culture woke. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like I I can understand because yeah. I mm-hmm. sat with them and I broke bread and I prayed and I, I learned. And I think that sometimes we just don't appreciate. Yeah. Other- and honestly, Richard, I think we, we definitely need more people like you who, who are like that and have those experiences. Not just saying like, a, as far as like, a, you don't have to assimilate our culture, but just have just sit down and talk with us and see, you know, ask us about us and what it is that, you know, makes us upset and why we're upset. And, and you will learn and, and understand. And I think just like how you said, like when people talk with you and, and I guess lace you up on game and how our culture are, you were able to understand us better, right? Well, yeah, I mean, but and like I said, I I grew up in the eighties. Um, that's I'm, I know I'm old, <laughs> but like if I go on my my playlist on my iPhone, you know, there's Tupac, there's Big, mm-hmm. you know, there's oh, okay. NWA, you know, Too Short, stuff like that. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but I'm saying, so uh, you know, I understand all aspects of the culture, and I think some people are afraid to try to understand different cultures like me i i i I like that kind of music then i was like well where did that music come from so then i went back to the blues and then i went back into jazz to find out where this came from and i think a lot of people they're called i call them facebook generation they don't do any research they don't read any books they don't watch documentaries about you know what our parents our great-grandparents have went through you know what i mean Okay, now I got a question for you because this yeah. like, we're having a great conversation. Awesome, yeah. Like a lot of people I know, especially women of color, strong women of color, mm-hmm. they hear a lot of uh, certain music, and they hear the B word going out, the the whole word going out, and and the N word going out. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to really fight against it. What are your thoughts on that, and how do you feel when you hear music like that and those words being used? Um. In the beginning, as a child, you know, when you come up, you don't really think of the things like that. It's just you think of, oh, hey, it's a great song, good beat. You just want to dance. 
as I got older um, and, and listening to the lyrics and, and, and what they represent as, as far as like mom culture, I'm, I'm not okay with it, but I understand it is what it is. And it's, it's, for me, I've told myself, it's not what you called, it's what you answer to. And so for me, I know who I am, who they sang about in those songs, those bitches, those, excuse me, I'm sorry, those bees, those hoes, that's not me. They're not talking to me because I uphold myself. I respect myself. And so if I don't act like that, then I know that doesn't, you know, a, a, that's not directed to me. And for me, it's just a song. I'm singing it. I do see or and see how, you know, some of the women of, uh, and this is, again, no attack on nobody in our culture. I'm not bashing anybody. This is my personal opinion. You ask, my, you ask me a question, and I'm giving you my opinion. Yep. Um, I've, I've and again, this is where it goes back in facing that ugly truth and, and, and admitting it to yourself. But I do see how, you know, us women have, it's because, you know, we've condoned it so long that, you know, it's, it's a norm now and people are used to it. Uh, I, I wish more women like me and myself and, and others that, that, that are against, you know, female bashing would speak up more about it. But you have to understand in that culture, that's that was that's what sells, you know, making the money, you know, th that type of music sells. Um, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's touchy to sing because I don't agree with it, but I'm not going to sit here and say I don't listen to that music. Like, I, I, I don't agree with how, you know, they sexualize women and put us in a bad light. But I'm not going to sit here and say, like, oh, I don't listen to every other song that comes on and, and it has that word in it and I don't get upset. I just know for me. It ain't what I'm called, it's what I answer to. And I know that's not who I am. Those type of girls that they sing about in those songs, I don't do those type of things. So I don't even, there's no need for me to get upset about it. Now, if I were to see, you know, a man outside and he was talking to a woman or to me crazy and, you know, disrespecting me, then, you know, my alpha female will come out. And um, so that's where you get that syndrome of, oh, the angry black woman. It's not the fact that we, you know, are angry. We hurt, you know, we, we're tired of, you know, all of the, you know, downplay how men treat us and play with us and just, you know, move on to the next like it's nothing. That's, you know, where you, where you get a lot of the upset from the black women. We're not angry. We hurt. I love that, you know, and because like a lot of people, it surprised me because I do a lot of interviews and uh, I get interviewed a lot on podcasts. And one of the questions they always ask me is, you know, what is one of your favorite books? And it kind of shocks people when I tell them my, one of my probably top two books besides the Bible is the autobiography of Malcolm X. And about, Whoa. You know, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but now when he was in jail, you know, one of the big things I got out, well, one is that when he, you know, in the end of his life, he started realizing people are just people. Mm -hmm. Then also when, you know, they asked him, well, how was it feeling in how do you feel being in jail? He said, you may have my body in jail, but my mind is free. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. You know, so when somebody asks me questions like that, I get the same results. They're like, they scratch their head. They're like, really? It's one of your favorite movies? I'm like, and, and books? I'm like, yeah. But I, I love it. I love it because it, 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 it gives me that affirmation that, again, that it, 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 are, it is people out there in the world who are not of color but they are open-minded. They understand, you know, the situation. And so that's what I say. Not, I, I would like to definitely just note that in my heart of hearts, I know not all 
racist people or white people or, or white people are racist, but there are just ra- a lot of racist people out there who are white, and that's the truth about it. And but I know for a fact not all white people are racist, mm-hmm. and I don't hold that against any white person I see walking down the street. I don't automatically say, oh, they ain't racist, they ain't gonna like me. No. I take that time to get to know that person. If they allow me to, and we come across each other and we have conversations and get to know each other, then that's why I draw my opinion from that person. Not by, you know, just walking down the street and seeing them and thinking, oh, this is just another white person. They're going to be racist towards me. No, absolutely not. Yeah, that's what, you know, I I have white people in my family. You know, I've dated white men before. And so, you know, like I find it funny, you know, um, I'm a big, I'm I, I'm a believer. I believe that you know my Lord to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Amen. But you know I fail him every day. But you know I I start talking and we start talking about racism and all that. And then I usually ask somebody, you know, what did Jesus really look like? You know, he did not look like Michael Bolton. He did not have blonde hair <laughs> and blue eyes. He did you not. Know, he had dark skin. He had curly hair. You know, he was from, you know, the, the mid, the Middle East, you know, Mid-Eastern Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people, they get wrapped around the axle about the whole, you know, race, racism thing. And I think we just, you know, there, there, we should, we got to stop worrying about being black people, being white people. We got to be about people. being people. Exactly. You know what I mean? So Amen, talk about brother. your book. What was your, what are some of the feedback that you have gotten on your book? Oh, so we did do a test market analysis. Like I said, I'm a businesswoman, so I always do my homework and research before I get into something. I did do a test market analysis, and it showed me that we have four main target audiences, and they are adults from the ages of 18 to 35. Uh, it did test high with women and men, but as usual, we, we women, we run it up in numbers, and so we're going to do good. Um, the book also tested well with African-American community, uh, as well as people who care about social issues like this, such as injustice and systemic racism. As far as the reviews go, there are a lot of mixed reviews. Um, as far as with the negative reviews, let me just take the time to say this. Again, I'm, I'm not writing this book to you know cause any trouble. It does come with a disclaimer, and you will see that when you buy the book, and, and it tells you this is not a book that's start, meant to start any type of you know trouble. It's just meant to make you think and start the conversation. And for the naysayers out there who who are saying that this book is, you know, something that is not, please stop. Um, one thing that I have learned from number 45, the, the previous president, is that, you know, no matter what you do, who you are, what you stand for, it's always going to be somebody out there who's going to condone what you're doing. And so for me, you go where you celebrate it, not where you tolerate it. And, you know, so he still has 75 million people backing him no matter what. And again, I'm not attacking, you know, Trump or anybody out there. I'm not trying to get political or anything about it, but just what I've learned from him and others, you know, no matter what, it's always going to be somebody who's going to condone what you're doing, whether it be good or bad. So with this book, my theory is no matter what, you know, people say this book is going to sell. It's going to be somebody out there who wants to buy this book, even especially with the people, you know, who get to talking about it and, you know, they're talking about it so negatively and other people hear them. They're going to be like, well, let me go see what this book is about and just get an opinion for myself. So I, I'm actually I welcome the negativity because, you know, that'll get gets you attention, whether it's good or bad. People are going to be talking about it. has been wrong. You can't unring it. So. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I love, you know, like um, I, I voted for Obama. Mm-hmm. And the re, but I did my research, 
you know, I read all of his books. I listened to his speeches ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I didn't just vote just yeah, exactly. to be popular. Exactly. What you I know mean. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that we have to do our due diligence, to, you know, as far as, you know, if you're going to vote, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, you know, it's who you vote for president that really makes a difference. No, it's who you vote for the Board of Education. You know, it's who you vote in your local community. Those are the ones that are going to make the biggest difference because they're the ones that are teaching your kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So a lot of times it really doesn't matter who the president is because there were people that got rich during Obama. There's people that got rich during uh, Trump. There's all people. The- You're getting rich during Biden. <laughs> yeah. So there's always gonna I'm going to get rich one way or another. <laughs> if you they know, can, why can't I? That's how I and- feel about it. You know, I was talking to another friend of mine, and he's a man of color. And I asked him, I said, you know, because he was struggling. And then once um, Mr. Obama won the presidency, his thought his thought process changed. And I asked him what happened. He said, because as soon as a color man became the most powerful women man in the world, mm-hmm. I have no more excuses. There is no glass ceiling once a black man became the, the most powerful man in the world, the, the, this glass ceiling, oh, God. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times, I think a lot of people will use, you know, their, their background, like you said earlier, you know, they'll use their background. Well, I grew up in Watts or I grew up in the hood and they're going to use that as an excuse for the rest of their life instead of start saying, all right, now it's my time to shine. I got to put in the work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Definitely, man. And I I, I totally agree with you on that part. It, 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 let's just let's, let's stop saying like black and white for a second. Let's just say human it, with anybody out there. You know, it. like I said, it is on you. Whatever you went through in life, listen, be it your, your childhood, your adult, and whatever you did, even if you are the cause of the problem, and if it wasn't your, or your, your fault, it's still your your problem to fix. And so whatever it is in life, you can't blame nobody else. You can, but in reality, it's on you. So if you never make it out to a situation of that slums, it's on you. you Wait, know, can you say, say the opportunity is given you, but if it isn't, you go out there and make one. That's what I basically say louder for the people in the back. Can you say that a little bit louder? I love it. Which one? Because I'll say a lot. It's all your fault. It's all, no, no, okay. So, yeah, exactly. Whether if it was or was it wasn't your fault, it's your problem, and it's on you to fix it. And if you don't, then it is your fault. That's the ugly truth about it. And so if you, you know, sit around and wait, and you pass your life pass you by, and you look up, that's on you. Even though somebody may have wronged you or done something to you or, you know, knocked your, blocked your shine, it's on you to get it back. And so if you see that person next to you and they taking off in their career, don't get mad, whether it's black or white, Asian, Chinese, whatever, you know, don't get mad. That's on you to go out there and get what is for you. That's why I say manifest, plan, and prepare. That's just true meaning by my, my motto. Manifest with what it is that you believe in your heart, then plan it out, and then prepare for it like it's coming because it is. And so... If you don't get it together, whether if, if it wasn't your problem, it wasn't your fault, or you you had nothing to do with it, it's your problem now. So it's on you to fix. That's just plain and simple. That's the ugly truth about it. And once you accept the ugly truth, 
you 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 get spirits here too that, that basically opens up your third eye and so what that means is when you get your mind right you can get your heart together and then anything and everything that you want it comes to you any clarity that you need in your life it comes to you and okay so then i gotta say you know one of the reasons why i wanted you on the show i seen you in that picture in the boxing ring <laughs> now yeah. I ran Lennox Lewis's training camp when he was a heavyweight champion of the world. Mm-hmm. He used to fight. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a lot of times, you know, they'll see a boxer and they have their ring corner. and mm-hmm. But they don't realize that once they're not in that ring corner, it's whatever happens in that ring, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You have to step out and you have to, you have to, you know, do the job. Mm-hmm. So how did you bring that mindset from you know coming up and and to stick to to stick to itiveness what was your mindset like going into the ring um well i'm an mma fighter i don't do boxing i do cage fighting <laughs> um and and before i go any further i just want to take this time to say rest in peace to my coach Saul Solis, who passed away in august from covid um he was the man that was in my corner uh, and going into that cage you just got to clear all that negative doubt or anything that you feel you can you can channel all that negative what I did was you know all that negative that I was going through all that anger that I was feeling I took it all out in that cage you know um so you just gotta what he taught me is in order to be the best you gotta do the things that your opponent won't do and you can apply that to anything even if with outside the cage whatever it is that you're trying to go for make sure you do what your opponent the things that your opponent doesn't do that's what's going to set you apart that's what's going to make you the best of the best and so when i was in that cage um i just gave him my all and, and, and left it all in the cage so and that's what i do in everything that i do i leave it all out there on, on the mat so that way when it's over and done with i don't have to look back with the what if factor what if I would have did this? What if I would have did that? I know now. I have my answer, and I can move on. And so anybody out there listening, whatever it is that you want to do in life, when you go for it, you go for it. Leave it all out there on the, on the mat. Whatever it is that you had, leave it where it's there. And so when you look back on it, win, lose, or draw, at least you know you gave it your all. I love it. Last two questions I have. Yeah. Um how do we find you? How do we find your book and how can we support your mission? Yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for that. My website, differenceworld.net, or you can go to my YouTube channel. I'm also on Facebook. Again, my website is differenceworld.net, spelled D-I-F-E-R-N-T-S-W-O-R-L-D.net. I'm mainly on Facebook at uh, Third Eyes, or spelled T-H-3-R-D-L-L-C-E-Y-E. But you can go to my website and see all of our social media platform tagline, and you can go through there. As far as our book, uh, we are doing the pre-sale this week um, through Amazon, as well as my website. So you can go to Amazon or my website. Well, I prefer you go to my website, differenceworld.net, and um, just so you can get the updates and information. We also have other things going on um, with the website. In association with the book, I have merchandise that I am selling solely on my website. For those who are interested, again, you can just go there and check it out. Um, what else? Let's see. Um, I have a book launch coming up. I'm looking to do a book tour soon, hopefully just doing what, what, whatever COVID, um, got planned for us for next year. I hope and pray it lets up on us and shows us the mercy. So I'm looking to do a book tour next, next year. And, um, 
just the beginning, you know, I have, I have so many other projects and plagues and um, not just with this book, with other things. I'm, I'm more than just an author, a motivational speaker. I, I'm, I'm a woman with many hats. And so now that I have arrived, <laughs> you will be seeing lots of me. I love it. Um, last question that I ask everybody, and because um, I ask a thousand people, I get a thousand different answers. <laughs> you know, we live in a crazy world right now. We live in a COVID world. Um, you know, a lot of people here in New Jersey lost their jobs, mm. so got parents that are driving Uber, DoorDash just to put food in their kids' mouths. Yeah. So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're probably never going to get to it. Mm-hmm. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. Mm-hmm. So if there's a, a person out there, no, doesn't matter, male, female, whatever, call it, if they're struggling in life. What is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get some help to straighten out their life? Talk to somebody. Talk to in even if it's to God, talking to yourself on a piece of paper, to a family member, a friend. Like I said, they have the hotline still out there. You know, call the uh, the suicide. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're suicidal because you're calling them. They talk about, they help you with other things as well. And so... Again, everybody out there listening, it's okay not to be okay, but just don't sit there and not be okay. Go fix it. Go get help by any means necessary. Um, I hear a lot of people say, well, I can't afford a therapist. There are some therapists out there who offer free services. Do your research. Do your homework. There is no excuse. For me, I am so tired of hearing, you know, not just with the adults, but specifically when I hear, you know, the teens or little kids, you know, going home and shooting themselves because of bullying, you know, that's, that's a real deep seated issue that, you know, that that's, that's been passed along. And that's where you have to break this. That's a generational curse that needs to be broken, a universal curse, if you will. And so I, I say, I can't say it enough, man, just don't sit there and not be okay. Go get help. Don't feel ashamed about it. Don't be embarrassed about it because at the end of the day, you're the one that's hurt. You're the one that's suffering. Nobody else, even that the person that wronged you, trust me, they're not worried about you. They moved on to the next person and doing their thing. Okay. So that's why it's, it's all on you to get that, you know, fixed. And okay. So, Normally those are, those are the two questions that I ask, but for, for certain people, I ask one more question. Yeah, go ahead. And, um, you know, like we're talking about, we're talking about being people of faith. And they say that if you're not close to God, you're the one that moved. He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So if somebody out there is listening to this, um, they don't feel close to God anymore. They feel alone. What is something they can do to get closer to him today? For me, I don't mean to disrespect anybody in, in the religious community. But for me, I had to lose my religion. I'm not a religious person. I am a spiritual person. And and for me, because when I was claiming, you know, to be a Baptist or a Christian, I I started to please people instead of God. I started to worry about how I look to people instead of for God. And so for me, what it took for me was removing that, 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 that stigma or that pressure of trying to live for people and impress people with my beliefs of God. And even if that means if you have to question, you know, where, where you are with your relationship with God, that's okay. But if you if you are a person of your faith can, that's unshakable like me, even though I lost my faith, my excuse me, lost my religion, I never lost my faith. So always, you know, 
Stay prayerful and believe that whatever it is that you're going through, it will be okay. Tough times do not last long. What I went through when I was a little girl, I knew that I was going to make it through because, you know, God told me a long time ago. I broke down on my knees praying, you know, for me to be the one in my family to break the generational curse and bring generational wealth. And he told me I was going to be the one to do that. But you got to remember that it's, it's this life is not easy. It's not going to be. It's not meant to be easy for those out there who are expecting to have an easy life and get mad when God doesn't answer their prayers. He is not that type of God. So first of all, you have to reprogram that mindset. If you're thinking that God answers prayers, any prayers that you want, and when he doesn't, you get mad, then you're not going to make it as a religious person or as a spiritual person. You're going to eat just, you're going to, you know, basically eat away at yourself with that. And so you have to understand that God is God. He is in control. Even though what he does at times, it doesn't make any sense to you then and there. Later on, it will. Because a lot of times when I was going through it, it made absolutely no sense to me. It just, it had it had to like manifest itself. It had to grow into where I got older and I can look back on it and see, well, oh, okay, I see why God had this person in my life for this certain time and it took them away. I see why that situation, the door was closed on me because it wouldn't have worked out. And so sometimes in that moment, you may not understand it right then and there, but give it time, give yourself time and give God time, you know, to let him work his plan out. Sometimes you just, you never know what's going on in the background. For me, like I said, when I lost religion and gained that spiritual side of it, I was able to understand the spiritual warfare behind the naked eye that a lot of people, a lot of us don't see. There's a spiritual battle that's being fought among us, you know, between angels and demons. And, you know, and if you believe in God and have faith in him, then trust and believe that the angels are on your side and they're fighting your battles for you. They're clearing the path for you. But it's on you to keep the faith. They can't work without your faith. That's what they go off of. That's how they are able to clear that path for you and bring the right people to you and remove the wrong people by your faith. I'm sorry, I don't want to get, get on too religion. I try to stay away from politics and religion, but you ask me and I get to tell yep. you on that one. <laughs> and I love it, you know, and, and guys, if you're listening out there, you know, God answers all prayers and sometimes the answer is no. It is. So, you you know, just got to be an adult and yeah. accept it. It's okay. Well, I just want to just want to thank you for coming on. I'm so great for having me, Richard. I truly appreciate it. And you continue to do your thing and best of luck to you and much success for you on your, on your podcast show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you everybody out there listening. Different world. Come and learn. Yep. Definitely pick up the book. Um, Definitely invite her to come speak at your schools, at your colleges. You'll be well worth it. All right. Well, have an amazing day and God bless you. God bless you. Bye, Richard. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand, coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee, and, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built 
So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.